Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. This episode is all about Greater Palm Springs. It's a dynamic region known for its stunning desert landscapes, world-class resorts, and great golf. Plus, it's a unique hub for mid-century modern architecture. Palm Springs was really kind of the Wild West as far as architecture was concerned. There weren't as many requirements in code, so architects could really expand and utilize these new materials in new ways. That was Kurt Sear, a mid-century modern expert who tells us about a variety of tours you can take. We'll also talk with Stephen Biller, who edits Palm Springs Life magazine, about some amazing outdoor dining options, as well as great ways to take in art outdoors. The way the sun moves across the sky and the way the colors change across the mountains, it's just fantasy life. And we'll meet a hiking leader who knows all the best spots around Palm Springs to hit the trail and get that perfect nature shot for Instagram. That's all coming up on California Now. One of the defining traits of Greater Palm Springs is a style of architecture known as mid-century modern. The area became a nexus for it after World War II, and today, visitors who want to better understand the architects and history behind the style turn to Kurt Sear. He's the founder of Palm Springs Mod Squad and takes people on tours covering everything from the desert modern aesthetic to the Rat Pack. Welcome to California Now, Kurt. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. So let's start with some history. Why is Palm Springs a hub of mid-century architecture and design? Well, we were very fortunate, uh, particularly post-World War II, was a period of optimism and hope. And there were all these new materials and technology and design philosophies of what architecture could be, especially the concept of merging interior and exteriors. It was aspirational. And Palm Springs has become the laboratory for this new concept of architecture. And we're really fortunate to have such a wealth of the built environment that still exists. All of this happened right after World War II. Um, how exactly did it happen? Like, why Palm Springs? Well, uh, Palm Springs had a history of for Hollywood. Uh, in the early days when um, Hollywood, they were contract players, they were only allowed to be two hours or 100 miles away from the studio when they were filming movies. So Palm Springs is really kind of at the end of the golden leash. So that's what brought Hollywood out to the desert. But also uh, there was uh, health benefits, the dry air, uh, early days, uh, if you had tuberculosis or asthma, you were prescribed dry air. And uh, we, we basically became a, a sanatorium and health resort. So people would come to take to the natural hot springs and the dry air for health. And then Hollywood followed. And then with Hollywood, there was some money and celebrity. And then um, as a, a winter destination, these houses were built for fun and resort. So people were more willing to experiment with new technologies and architecture on a place they only lived a few months out of the year. And I think part of the style also is that it brings the outdoors in. There's almost like no division, right, between the indoors and the outdoors. So it kind of almost plays on that um, that health sense of like you're going out to nature to breathe, you know, clean, dry air. Correct. And, 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 and also Palm Springs was really kind of uh, the Wild West as far as architecture was concerned. There weren't as many... Um, requirements and codes. So, so architects could really expand and, and utilize these new materials in new ways and basically experiment. And this idea of merging indoor and outdoor was a really, really important aspect of it. It uh, engendered health and well-being and, and hope and optimism of what 
life after World War II could be. Basically, if you were to describe the style to someone who's never seen it before, could you be able to do that? Like, how would you do that kind of very briefly? Well, uh, we have that a very specific type of mid-century architecture here in Palm Springs. It's called desert modernism. And there are four elements that really comprise the architectural style. And all of these have to do with uh, sun protection and heat protection. There's the cantilever, which is the unsupported roof section that extends out the, beyond the building's envelope. We also use a lot of clear story windows. Those are those little windows right below the roof line. So the cantilever actually protects the sun coming into the windows in the summer when it's hot and high in the sky. But in the winter, when the sun's low on the horizon, it comes blazing through. So you get light and privacy both at the same time. Now, because we build with so much glass, we also need other sun protections. And, and here we use a lot of brise soleil, which is a French term that means to break or shatter the sun. And, and you'll see brise soleil in different uh, configurations. It can be decorative screening block walls that are built up in front of the windows, or they could be perforated panels that slide over the glass, or in some cases they hang from the eaves to protect the windows like a lattice. Uh, those are called sun flaps. Hmm. Because we built with so much glass, we also need solid walls. And this is for architectural uh, stability so the buildings can't torque and twist and fall down. And here it's either all or nothing. So it's either all glass or all solid wall. And in order to make the solid walls look interesting, we use what is called pattern brick or shadow block. This is basically a concrete block that has an embossed or raised pattern in it. So over the course of the day, we get a lot of interesting dynamic shadow play on, on what would otherwise be a solid wall. So those four elements really uh, help uh, signify our desert modern architecture. Oh, that's really cool. I'd like to talk a little, a little bit about your tours now. I mean, can you give us some, sure. some uh, like a pre-pandemic snapshot of how your essential tour would unfold? Well, pre-pandemic, uh, we, we offer three different tours, the interior, the essential, and the Rat Pack tour. And the essential tour is really the umbrella tour that gives the uh, architectural history, the elements, the uh, six architects who really brought this look to the desert. These were local architects. So it's a citywide tour that we uh, see both uh, residential and commercial buildings. And by the time you're finished uh, with the tour, you have a really good understanding of what the architecture is, how it came to be, but also a, a little bit of celebrity thrown in. But it is uh, definitely a, a, a focused on the architecture. That's really great. So it's kind of like an overview. How, how long is the tour? Like how many stops are there on it? Uh, well, it's a 90 minute tour. Um, my kind of sweet spot for my tours are 90 minutes because this allows people to uh, come out uh, see the architecture, but also allows them to spend time by the pool and have some cocktails as well. So it's a uh, it's kind of an intense 90 minutes and you uh, walk away with a really good understanding of what makes Palm Springs the capital for mid-century modern architecture. Now, I'm sure you've adapted your tours uh, to our new era of social distancing, right? So, so what's different now? Well, uh, what we've done is we've created the uh, socially distanced tour, which is a, a, a safe tour. The essential tour is conducted the same way, but you follow in your own car. And I, as the guide, um, do the, uh, the touring via mobile phone. So people either put me on speakerphone in their own car or run me through their Bluetooth uh, sound system and I become the DJ for uh, 90 minutes. You know, it seems to me like like taking uh, one of these tours at the beginning of a trip to Palm Springs might give you some really great ideas on what to do during during the rest of your stay, right? So it's probably a good thing to kind of do it up front. 
Yeah, and I actually encourage people to do that uh, because I've heard time and time again um, how they w- uh, my modern nieces had wished that they had done that early on in their tour so they would really understand what they were seeing. Um, I had on one couple on their last day, they said, oh, my, I wish we would have known this because we were looking for this architecture and we didn't seem to find it. And here it was right in front of us. <laughs> right. and then, so, so they, they had a, a better understanding. Unfortunately, they had to leave. So, so uh, talk to me a little bit about your other tours. You, you mentioned the interiors tour and the Rat Pack tour. Uh, what about the interiors tour? Where does that take me? Well, the interior tour, uh, we go into three different homes. Uh, these are not celebrity homes. Uh, most all of the, the, the big named homes are venues. So they know what they have and they've, uh, they're, they use them for events and such. But uh, Palm Springs is actually filled with all these incredible uh, mid-century houses. And uh, I have a, a, a group of uh, homeowners that are very generous who open up their homes uh, to my tours. And, and these are, give you a really good sense of what it's like to live a modern life in mid-century modern architecture. So these are not museums. Uh, these are private homes and uh, they're, they're decorated. Some are more mid-century, but the combination uh, of both. Uh, and you really get a sense of how relevant the architecture is today for modern life. It's not just this vintage mode, but you, it's very easy to live in these homes. And how do you factor in social distancing with that tour? Well, we, we keep the uh, the group small. Usually it's a, a, a pod, a, a traveling group, and they're all fully masked. And uh, we practice social distancing inside the house as well. Uh, and then we uh, they, they follow as well, like on the essential tour. So they, they're all in their own car. And then um, we practice social distancing and masking while we're going through the tour of the house. What about the Rat Pack tour? That sounds like fun. (laughs) Well, the Rat Pack tour is a combination of architecture and a little bit of drinking. So we'll we'll go out and see the uh, the houses of the Rat Pack. It's the intersection of Las Vegas, Palm Springs, and the Rat Pack. So we'll see Frank Sinatra's house, uh, Peter Lawford, also Dean Martin, Marilyn Monroe's. And then we um, go to Melvin's, which is a Rat Pack hangout where we enjoy a martini and I regale my modern nieces with my gin and martini knowledge. But uh, since uh, the pandemic has uh, shut down the bars, we haven't been able to offer the martini tour during the pandemic, but we hope to uh, offer it again as soon as uh, the bars open up. Who who are you finding goes on these tours? I mean, are you seeing more Californians since the rise of COVID-19? Well, it, now it's mostly intra-travel. So uh, if you can drive here, that's what we're seeing. So San Diego, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Uh, it, it's more local. Um, we're, we're not getting our international travelers like we used to, uh, and obviously for, uh, for travel restrictions and such. Um, but usually uh, before the pandemic, uh, August would be filled with Australians and New Zealanders because that's their winter. And there's a real appreciation uh, for mid-century architecture in Australia and New Zealand. We have a very similar um, landscapes and similar climate. So there's a there's kind of a, you know, this 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 brotherhood of uh, from down under. And so they were big supporters of mid-century architecture. But now during the pandemic, we're seeing a lot, uh, a lot more local Right. So in, in terms of lodging while I'm in the area, if I wanted to immerse myself in the mid-century modern aesthetic, where should I plan to stay? Is there like an iconic motel or place like that? 
Well, there's there's a wide variety. You know, there's a, we have the larger hotels. Um, Palm Springs was really known for its extended stay motels, and and these were an, an alternative to actually owning property in Palm Springs. These were apartment motels that were built in the mid '50s up until the probably the early '60s, and they were usually owned and operated by a husband and wife team. And they they would be they would be like studio one bedroom apartments that you would come out and spend a week or a month in. And uh, there are a lot of those extended stay motels that are now turned into um, motels or hotels. So there there's the Holiday House, which is by Herbert Burns. That's I believe 1950. 51 or 52. There's the Hideaway. There's the uh, Orbit Inn. Um, there's Sparrow's Lodge. Uh, so there's a lot of these more kind of intimate, smaller motel hotels that have been beautifully redone. But then there's also the larger hotels. You know, we have the the, the, the Kimpton or the Saguaro um, that uh, are, are more like a, a typical hotel as opposed to a little more intimate. What's something that, that tends to surprise people visiting Palm Springs for the first time? Well, I think architecturally, they're amazed at how small the houses are. They, they equate a kind of celebrity with square footage. And that is probably the most surprising thing for visitors. It's like, I didn't realize their houses were so small. You know, Dinah Shore's first home was 1,500 square feet or so. Uh, and, and most of the houses ranged in size from anywhere from, you know, there were 1,200 square foot on the smaller side up to about 1,800 square feet. But there was a whole different sense of concept of space uh, in, in the mid-century. And these were these were winter cabins, basically. So they were used from October to April. Um, so these were not their main homes. These were just basically a place where they'd come out and hang their hat or their swimming clothes while they're you know playing tennis and swimming for the winter months. And then they would lock these houses up and then they would sit all summer long because a lot of the houses in the early days didn't have air conditioning. So these were basically just used as winter places. And that, I think, is what really saved Palm Springs was preservation through neglect and preservation through indifference. <laughs> so you, know, you, you wouldn't remodel a bathroom or a kitchen on a place you only use a few months out of the year. And then when Palm Springs fell out of favor in the late 1960s and early 70s, these houses, for the most part, were in original shape. They were unadulterated. And then they sat for another 25 years to be rediscovered in the mid-1990s. Well, Kurt, this has been really great. Thanks so much for coming on California Now. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Kurt Sear runs Palm Springs Mod Squad online at psmodsquad.com. He's on Instagram at Kurt underscore Sear, spelled C-Y-R. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Since 1958, Palm Springs Life magazine has been an institution covering the culture, vibe, and people of the greater Palm Springs area. Working there for years has made my next guest, Editor-in-Chief Stephen Biller, particularly keyed into the best places to take in outdoor art, enjoy the incredible food the area has to offer, and relax in some truly one-of-a-kind places. Welcome to California Now, Stephen. Thank you so much. You know, Palm Springs is a place with no shortage of breathtaking sights to take in, not just in terms of art, but also the landscape itself. Uh, for listeners who've never been, what kind of scenery can they look forward to? Well, the beautiful thing about uh, Palm Springs, aside from the impossibly blue skies and palm trees all the time, uh, is that we're surrounded. We're actually in a valley. We're surrounded by mountains. We're 
surrounded to uh, the south and to the east by the Santa Rosa Mountains and to the west by the San Jacinto Mountains. And um, it creates this incredible environment that provides incredible hiking opportunities and beautiful vistas and incredible landscapes, uh, the way to sun moves across the sky and the way the colors change across the mountains. It's just fantasy land. It's beautiful. So while people might be used to seeing art in galleries or museums, when you're in the greater Palm Springs area, there's also a lot of art to experience outdoors. Why is that? And where would you send us to experience some of it? The entire Coachella Valley is a uh, is an art landscape, really. Uh, people say, oh, it's just it's this blank, empty desert. It's really not. Uh, it's incredibly vibrant, and it's reflective of all the different cultures and people who've moved in and out of this place from, from time immemorial, from the Native Americans to today. You can come here and experience uh, these cultures out on the land, wide open, safe, you know, <laughs> safely distant as we need to be today, and, and have these incredible experiences with art that you can't have in other places. We have a biennial exhibition of site-specific art here called Desert X. And this is an invitational exhibition uh, with artists coming from around the world. who They do immersions in the, in the desert. They learn about the history and the seismic activity and uh, the nature and the people. And they respond to it with these innovative proposals for public artwork that are temporary in some cases, and in some cases they're permanent. And then people come from all over the world to see them. We had over 400,000 people experience the last biennial in 2019. The first one was in 2017, and this next one opens on February 6, 2021. So February 6 through April 11, 2021, will be the third iteration of Desert X. And it will also include artists from around the world coming here to, um, like I said, do an immersion, learn everything they can, and respond to it with these universal messages so that you don't have to know about the desert to understand what they're doing and, and engage with these universal messages that they're distilling from this place. Can you give us a, a sense of, of what these installations are like by uh, maybe describing one or two art installations from the past that were really noteworthy? Sure. One of the most Instagrammed artworks ever <laughs> of any installation anywhere in the world was a piece called Mirage. And it was done by Doug Aitken, who is known for creating structures and cinematic experiences around these structures. So what Doug Aitken did for Desert X in 2017 is he created a ranch house up in Chino Canyon. There's no, there's no development around it. It's just a pristine natural environment up in a mountain. And he built a ranch house that he fashions out of mirrors uh, inside and out. So as you uh, look at this house, you're, you're seeing the landscape. And the house almost disappears because it's it's <laughs> it's just an incredible experience. And when you go into the house, it's also mirrored and just creates this unique experience you just couldn't have in any other way. It you become a part of the artwork. And Desert X is only one of these outdoor experiences. That's a big one, but we have uh, lots of opportunities for people to experience uh, art like this 
uh, all year round. We have the Coachella Walls mural project in downtown Coachella. It's a historic downtown, and there are 14 colorful, large-scale murals, all situated within a few short blocks, and they honor the life and struggles of the local population there, largely uh, Mexican immigrant farm workers. And uh, an artist named Armando Lerma, uh, working with a curator uh, named Medvin Sobio, uh, created this, this project in 2014, and Armando uh, actually created the very first mural with a collaborator named Carlos Ramirez. They used to work together as uh, the date farmers, and they created the very first and most iconic mural, which commemorates the 1965 grape boycott uh, and the work of Cesar Chavez. And uh, people will come from all over to come experience these murals and and uh, go have tacos at uh, street tacos over at Jalisco restaurant and uh, go to Las Tres Conchitas across the street, which is a, a Mexican bakery. And then just take all your food over into the park, over to Veterans Memorial Park, which is right there in the corner, and uh, and have yourself a nice picnic. It's a great day. It's a great way to spend a couple of hours. You know, I love that you brought up food because um, I'd love to talk about the restaurant scene for a second. So are there a lot of restaurants moving outdoors to serve customers right now? Yeah, I, I, and more opening. They're all kind of announcing plans as we get closer to our height of season. Palm Canyon Drive in Palm Springs, you can you just walk down the street and see how all the restaurants have adapted and created these, these beautiful outdoor dining uh, areas. There are some restaurants also that are just doing takeout. And in a, in a great way, there's my, one of my favorite restaurants in town is Rooster and the Pig. Uh, it's a Vietnamese restaurant um, and has some of my favorite dishes. And they focused on takeout and did it very successfully. But uh, there are great experiences to be had outdoors and, and more coming. Uh, workshop Kitchen and Bar has plenty of outdoor seating. How, uh, uh, Mr. Lyons Restaurant is a steakhouse. Mr. Lyons Steakhouse has done a great job with their outdoors. Spencer's Restaurant is going to be opening uh, shortly in December. Uh, and they have one of the best patios in Palm Springs. And it's big and they can get a lot of people out there and spaced out. You know, so they're, they're built for outdoor dining. As is La Valeries, which is a French restaurant here in town. So I want to drill down really deep and find out, like, when I go to one of these places, like, what do I have to order? One of my favorite restaurants, and right down, there's there's two of these, actually. There's Sandfish Restaurant by Ingen Oneril. Uh Sandfish is in Palm Springs, and he has another restaurant in Palm Desert called the Venue Sushi and Sake Bar. It's designer sushi. Uh, it's it's so fresh and, and so imaginative. It's art on a plate, and it's just it's it's beautifully presented. The venue in, in Palm Springs, which is Sandfish Sushi and Whiskey, does a lot of sushi and whiskey pairings, which I would have never thought of until he opened this place. Uh, <laughs> he he does a lot of tastings and and uh, gives you a good opportunity to uh, to experience a lot of different things on the menu. Um, so a very creative place, and I, I highly recommend that one. Another place that's uh, outdoors uh, is 849 Restaurant and Lounge. They've got a great outdoor garden, and they've spaced out their chairs really nicely. They have a, a, an interesting you know, kimchi and poke bowl that I like. They have a nice carne asada plate. 
and some pretty good uh, vegan and vegetarian options as well. Well, it, so- it sounds pretty amazing. I mean, it sounds like, you know, for uh, for a place that's in the middle of the desert, you have such an amazing variety of, of international cuisine, of, you know, s- seafood, of, I mean, it's not only just kind of like SoCal Mexican. It just sounds like it's an amazing variety and very high quality. Yeah, I mean, you can, there's, there's good Italian, there's good Indian, there's, there's good steak, there's good Asian, all kinds of Asian foods. I, I like sitting out of the pool and having dinner. And, and one of my favorite places to do that is at a hotel. I think that some of the best restaurants in our valley are at hotels. Oh, really? Wow. One of my favorites is King's Highway over at the Ace Hotel and Swim Club. And they have a new chef there. Uh, Isaac Ramirez just just started earlier this year, I guess, uh, right around the new year, and, and has just been killing it. His new menu is great. It's a little small right now because of COVID, but it is loaded with great stuff, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And because we have to sit outside, you know, you, you, you're just forced to sit out there by the pool. You know, it's just torture. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds like I, I'll have no problem whatsoever filling my day with fun activities. And, you know, you mentioned dining at, at a hotel. Um, if I'm looking for someplace memorable to stay, what do you recommend? And why don't we start with the kind of resort people hit up when they're, you know, when they want to go on a splurge? Well, I mean, a big luxury options, of course, we have the, the, the Ritz-Carlton Rancho Mirage. It doesn't get much better than that. Uh, you know, they'll come and deliver your your mask. If you walk into a lobby, into their lobby without a mask, you know, a server is going to come up with white gloves and a silver, sterling silver tray with a mask on it for you to take. So um, it, it's interesting because you're seeing that kind of service. One, because it's their brand. Their brand is that level of service. But also it's a it's a great way of of getting people to comply with with the guidelines for safety around COVID. But um, other luxury options, I love the Kimpton Rowan in downtown Palm Springs. Uh, it's a relatively new property and uh, it's a fun place to stay if you like the downtown environment. But uh, if you prefer to be uh, maybe on a golf course, you, know, you have the Renaissance Esmeralda down in Indian Wells. Um, if you like something a little bit more uh, swanky, a little bit more maybe Hollywood Regency or uh, just good design. You know, Jonathan Adler designed the Parker Palm Springs. It's a great property. It sounds like there's so many options. It's almost mind boggling, especially at the high end. I, you know, what about options for people traveling on a budget? Are there are there any good options for them? There are some great deals to be had in Cathedral City. You know, it's a double tree in Cathedral City, and I, I would I would recommend that one and. Um, and there are a lot of properties in, in Palm Desert as well. There's probably more hotels in Palm Desert than any other town here in the valley. Uh, that's probably where I would go looking for my, my deals. Well, Stephen, this has been really great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thank you so much. Stephen Biller is editor-in-chief of Palm Springs Life, online at palmspringslife.com. They're on Twitter, at Palm Springs Life, and on Instagram, at Palm Springs Life Magazine. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now.
To the uninitiated observer, the desert landscape enveloping Greater Palm Springs may seem empty and inhospitable, but my next guest has made a point of proving that there's abundant life to appreciate there. You just need to know where to go and what to look for. Jason Brooks is a hiking leader with distance to be traveled, and he takes pride in sharing the trails, the history, and the natural beauty of the area around Palm Springs. Welcome to California Now, Jason. It's a pleasure to be with you. So let's start with a broad overview. How many different hiking spots are close to Palm Springs and how much variety do they have to offer? So the uniqueness of Palm Springs is that not only it's in the low desert, which has its own flora and fauna, but we have this incredible mountain, San Jacinto, that rises 10,000 feet above the uh, desert floor. It, what it does is it allows us a huge opportunity to enjoy the outdoor experience. And Palm Springs over the last... 12 to 30 years has really moved towards that direction of celebrating its outdoor experience well beyond just staying around the pool, but getting out on the trail. I hear there's something like more than like 200 locations that people can can hike through. There are waterfalls, wildflowers. Can you talk a little bit about the variety of, of what people, the kind of experiences people can have hiking? Absolutely. It's with the Palm Springs area, you can do a flatland earthquake fault tour. You can travel all the way up to Mount San Jacinto at 10,000 feet. And with that kind of Mm. variety, with the flora and fauna, uh, you can experience bighorn sheep. You could experience coyotes. You can experience deer at the higher elevations and uh, the seasons. People don't believe that the desert has seasons. We joke all the time that (laughs) one day we have leaves up on the tree and the next day the leaves are all off the tree. But there is a variety of seasons through here. Our springtime is absolutely gorgeous with wildflowers and waterfalls in the canyons. In October, which is more of a bleak time because of getting through summer, the shadows that contrast across the canyons and the cooler nights is absolutely a perfect time to do an evening or a night hike. That's incredible. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about your role as a hiking consultant. You lead people on hikes in this area all the time, so you can kind of tailor a custom itinerary to my needs or my group's needs, and, and maybe you come along as well? So what I do is I have I have a hiking group, and that hiking group travels every weekend, and we allow visitors to come in and enjoy that group atmosphere. What I also do is that people email me from all over the world, and they ask me, what is there to do in Palm Springs? And then what I'll do is I'll list a variety of hiking options, depending on their hiking skills and their conditioning, to um, take them anywhere from Palm Springs to our amazing national parks like Joshua Tree National Park or our Sand to Snow Monument area, as well as Borrego Springs State Park. And um, there's 200 different types of hikes through here. It's just really extraordinary. That's amazing. And in recent months, are you seeing more people who are fairly local or maybe more first-timers hitting the trail? Um, I've seen more people from the San Diego, Los Angeles area, um, but we are starting to see some people creeping into the valley much further out. Our primary season is wintertime, and um, the expectation is, is that, especially in metropolitan areas this year, people are beginning to quickly um, connect back in with nature. It's, it's been a hard time for us, I would say, in the last year. And um, nature has really helped us break through this. And in fact, uh, just within the city limits of Palm Springs, the Agua Caliente tribe um, has a beautiful location called the Indian Canyons. And that is an area that is open year round. 
um, for a minimal fee, you can travel into um, approximately four different canyons. Uh, one has an extraordinary, beautiful waterfall, and the other three um, are filled with Washingtonian filifera palms, which are these beautiful palm trees. It's a true oasis. You just you're walking through the desert, and all of a sudden, you see these lush palm trees and a flowing stream. Um, that's that's pretty exciting. That's a it's a it's very cool experience to have. I know you've been doing this for for a long time. Are there aspects? of the natural beauty of the area that still amaze you personally, even after all these years? Oh, yes, truly. There are a couple hikes that I do in the local area that um, they're just, they're beautiful. Um, Taquitz Canyon, which is part of the Agua Caliente um, land, tribal land, they have a uh, waterfall back through that, which is a simple hike. It's only a mile up and a mile back down. And um, it's about a 25-foot waterfall. And um, that that is quite quite beautiful. A little further down south from where we're at is um, the Mecca Hill area. And they have um, a wilderness open area that has ladders that are in canyons to be right next to Joshua Tree National Park. Those iconic rocks and, and of course, the Joshua Trees are um, absolutely spectacular. Palm Springs is definitely a destinational point that you can spend the night or a couple of nights here. And whether you're Getting in your car and traveling five minutes down the road or an hour out to Joshua Tree, um, the outdoor experience is it's all there for you. It's just it's amazing. So so let's talk about some of the some of your favorite hikes in the area. Let's start with a, an easier option, say, for somebody who's not really a, you know, an avid hiker, but wants to kind of get that experience in. What would be a good one? Well, if they're traveling alone, uh, which would be my very first question to to anyone who's coming out here, I would recommend definitely going to the um, Palm Canyon, Indian Canyon area. And in Palm Canyon itself, which resides in the Indian Canyons, is a mile up and a mile back down. Andreas is about a mile up, a mile back down. You can do a five-mile hike in that same area to Murray, which um, is a little more aggressive, but enjoyable. It the nice thing is this is that there's people back there. So it's to to wander off and to get lost um, is minimized because there are people back through there and you should be spotted and there's a closing time and an opening time, which is good. If you're traveling with groups of people, you know, you can um, visit the Indian Canyons, but there's also a couple really amazing trails that are also within Palm Springs that are not on tribal land, which includes the Licken Trail, which is kind of skylines um, Palm Springs on the San Jacinto uh, mountain range. And you can do all 11 miles if you wanted to, um, starting from um, south going north or north going south. Um, So you're just riding across the skyline of Palm Springs, or there's multiple entries through there, and you can cut your hike down to three miles or to five miles. Um, You can go to the Coachella Valley Preserve and spend time over there, which are easy hikes to doing an all-day hike over there, which is about 10 miles. What about hiking at night? Is there any way, you know, easy way to head out on the trail after hours so you can really enjoy those really dark, star-filled desert skies? I do some amazing night hikes out through this particular area. In fact, uh, one of the ones which is kind of creepy is we do a one-hour walk with a black light and count scorpions. Creepy. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Um, but it's, uh, it's, it really is a lot of fun and great for all ages. Uh, there is 
an area called Big Morongo Canyon, which has a very nice road to, to walk down and you get the, the view of the stars. And it's, it's about a 15, 20 minute drive from Palm Springs. And then if you have someone who knows the area to travel up once again on the Licken Trail um, at night, you have not only the city lights, but if you get that moon starting to rise out from the east, it is, it's just beautiful. That's really cool. Uh, let's radiate out a little bit more from uh, from Palm Springs. Where else do you often send people in the area? There's a great little preserve called Whitewater Canyon. And in that particular canyon, which is about a 15-minute drive from Palm Springs, has a variety of different type of wildlife. And the reason is, is that it's on two transitional zones. It's, it's between the low desert and the high desert, which, give you an example, you would see more bobcat, um, bighorn sheep in a higher elevation than typically on a lower elevation. The plant life begins to change, and uh, it's a beautiful location. Driving a little further up, of course, you're at the crown jewel of Joshua Tree National Park, and that uh, in itself is a full day of experience of hiking, rock climbing, um, or just uh, escaping from the woes of civilization. Right. I mean, that's that's really one of the big outdoor draws in the area. So so let's talk a little bit about why it's so popular. Why do people love going to that park? I think there are two key things that make that park so extraordinary. The rock formations. It's it's beautiful the way that this Monzo granite is just it's it's bouldered on top of boulder and that's beautiful. And then there's something amazing about Joshua trees, how they just reach up to the sky. They are twisted. They belong in a Dr. Seuss book. And, <laughs> and, and maybe because of that, it draws out a little bit of our, our childhood interest. And um, it's an extraordinary park. It's as large as um, Rhode Island. It's, it's massive. And uh, it's, it's right there in our backyard. And, and in addition to the Joshua tree, there are other interesting plants and trees there too, right? Yeah. What makes Joshua tree, once again, extraordinary, similar, I guess, to uh, the way that um, Whitewater Canyon is set up, which we talked about just a little earlier, is that it is an area that has two different zones. It's, it's a separation between the high desert and the low desert. So it, depending on which entrance you take, you can either start with the high desert and end up in the low desert or go from the low desert to the high desert. Give you an example. In the low desert section of Joshua Tree National Park, you have choya cactus and you have acatillos. In the upper portion of the desert, you have Joshua trees, which grow in the higher elevations. It, it's just traveling up a, a, a hill as you're driving up the road that you can see pretty quickly this very quick transitional change different varieties, a circle of life of animals up through there, uh, golden eagles, falcons, red-tailed hawks, bighorn sheep, bobcat. Just It's just beautiful. That's really great. So, you know, just to, to, to briefly wrap up, uh, we can't overlook the importance of safety and planning ahead on these types of outings. What should every newcomer know before they hit the trail? A couple things. First of all, I, I just totally recommend no one should ever hike alone. I've been hiking uh, with groups now for probably about uh, 15, 20 years hiking since I was a kid. Eight years ago, made the decision never to hike alone again. I know that people believe that they're invincible um, and they have their cell phone and technology has changed, but it just takes one time to break an ankle. 
to fall. Um, and if you're in an area that your cell phone doesn't work, I don't care how incredibly strong and fit you are. You're at the mercy of the elements. The other thing is um, so many hikers I've seen bring one single bottle of water. And my hiking rule is pretty simple, is you, you bring a ton of water. And, and the rule works out this way. If I'm walking down a trail that's a there and back, and I have gone halfway down on my bottle of water, I'm turning around. If I'm thirsty walking out there, I'm really going to be thirsty walking back. And the way our temperatures work, and it really fools people, it can be summertime and you start out at 72 degrees at 6 a.m. in the morning. And by 1030, it's 100 degrees outside. That can take a toll on a person. And I would say those are our two biggest issues with hikers is hiking alone and not bringing enough water. Well, Jason, this has been really great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. I appreciate it. Thank you. Jason Brooks is a hiking leader and consultant at Distance To Be Traveled. Online, it's distancetobetraveled.com. Jason is on Instagram at Jason Brooks, spelled B-R-U-E-C-K-S. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. We hope you enjoyed this episode and get a chance to hit the road soon. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find our show on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe. And please check out our responsible travel hub at visitcalifornia.com respect. There, you'll find information on traveling safely during the pandemic and doing your part to help California remain a safe travel destination over the long haul.